Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis XIV, reminding you to please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it now. Follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod. I'm at DJ LOUIEXIV on both Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to buy our merch at poppantheonpod.com and join our Patreon, Pop Pantheon All Access at patreon.com slash poppantheon, where we are providing at least three bonus episodes of this show per month. Finally, tonight in New York City, in conjunction with our favorite podcast, Who Weekly, Gorgeous Gorgeous is throwing a after party for Who Weekly's show at the Palladium in Times Square. This party will be at Fishbowl at the Dream Hotel in Midtown, and anybody who's anybody can be there. So if you want to come, listen to pop music all night with your favorite Gorgeous Gorgeous crew plus the Who Weekly crew, that is tonight. Thursday, November 16th at the Dream Hotel Midtown at Fishbowl in their bar downstairs. So I hope to see some of you guys tonight at Who Weekly Times Gorgeous Gorgeous. This week's B-Side is a little bit of a different thing for us. We invited a very special guest on the show, Bonnie McKee, who is a songwriter I'm sure many of you are familiar with. She's written hits like Katy Perry's Teenage Dream and California Girl and Roar. She's written Tao Cruz's Dynamite. She's written Britney Spears's Hold It Against Me, among a slew of other classic pop records. And she's also a pop star in her own right, who has been in the industry for nearly 20 years at this point, has been on quite a journey through the world of pop music, is a pop music aficionado in general, somebody who loves the format, loves the genre. So Bonnie came on to talk all about her career, both as an artist and a songwriter, and about pop music in general, how it works, how she writes it, and how it's changed over the course of her career, and also what she's up to now. So it was a really fun conversation. Bonnie is so smart and insightful and forthcoming, and I really enjoyed speaking with her. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Bonnie McKee. Okay, so today we're doing something a little bit different on the show. We have a very special guest who has experienced the pop music machine from a unique vantage point, I would say. So Bonnie McKee is a pop star with hits like Bombastic and American Girl and a very loyal cult audience. She's also the songwriter behind some of the most enduring era-defining pop songs of the last 15 years by so many of your favorite artists, including Britney Spears' number one hit, Hold It Against Me, five number one Katy Perry songs. She's also written for Christina, Carly Rae Jepsen, Avril Lavigne, Kesha, and Cher. And Bonnie is currently preparing to release her anticipated album, Hot City, and you can stream her single Slay, Hot City, and Don't Get Mad, Get Famous Now. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's my pleasure. As I said to you when we just got on the Zoom, I'm a huge fan, a huge admirer of yours. So congrats on the rollout of your first few singles from your new album. It's so exciting, I think, for so many of your fans to have these songs in the world. I'm wondering if we can go back to the beginning for a beat. You grew up in Seattle, you started performing and writing songs, and then you moved to LA as a teenager. I'm curious how you ended up landing your first deal with Warner Brothers and what your vision for yourself was as a pop star in that period and that kind of first incarnation of your career. I made a demo for a school project. I was kicked out of high school, first of all. Mm -hmm. But before they let me go, they let me do a project, like a group project where like there was an intensive week where kids got to learn about whatever they wanted, where it was like environmental stuff where kids would plant trees or whatever, and I got to go into music recording studio. So I recorded a demo of some songs I had written and gave it to everybody I knew. Like I got, Mm -hmm. this is like the late 90s. So I had a CD burner machine where I could burn like five CDs at once. And I was like, I'm so high tech. I'm like basically... (laughs) 
and I burned a bunch of CDs and gave them to everyone I knew. One of them I gave to a friend who babysat for someone who knew someone in oh, LA. Wow. <laughs> and, and he sent it to them and they called me and flew up to Seattle and met me when I was like 15. And mm. they were like, we think you're a star. And so they brought me down to LA and I got a, an attorney, an entertainment lawyer, and he shopped it around and it ended up on Mornings Eclectic on KCRW. And it ended up being a bidding war and I ended up signing a record deal with Warner Brothers. So it's like, it's really like old fashioned, like right. plucked from obscurity, like that right. never happens anymore. There was no social media. This was yeah. really like a proper talent scout out of nowhere. Yeah. Who did you look up to? Like when you were thinking about your inspirations as a performer, as a songwriter, as a pop star aspirant in that time period, like who were you looking at? as your idols? I mean, I grew up listening to Madonna and Michael Jackson and like I loved music videos. Like that was really what inspired me to get into it. And then in my formative years, I got really into Carole King and Fiona Apple and kind of songwritery stuff. And then of course, Britney Spears hit, right? When I started writing songs and was like, oh man, like there's there's another girl that's kind of my age that's doing this. But it was, it was kind of a disconnect because I was doing singer-songwriter stuff because I didn't right. have to know any producers. So right. I was like sitting at the piano writing songs. And what came out of me was this kind of singer songwritery stuff. But what I wanted to do was be Madonna or Britney Spears. I really wanted to be a pop star, but I didn't really understand how to make that music. I had no idea how to do that. I just did what came naturally out of me. Interesting. So like, what was it about maybe like those Max Martin, Britney songs or whatever of that era? Like, did you learn something sort of fundamental about the way that pop songs are constructed from listening to that music? And if so, what was that? Early on? No, I didn't know anything about song formula. I just like wrote whatever came out of me. And then when, so when I signed to Warner Brothers, I was very confused about like, why are they making me the girl behind the piano? Like, mm. I love Michelle Branch, but I was like, that's not the genre that I want to be in. That's not right. Right. Like, long. But I had a, a knack for emotional songwriting. And so they mm. put me on like hot AC and I, the whole tour, I was sitting behind the piano and I was just miserable. That's not where I wanted to be. I know I won't cry. Cause there is somebody, somebody, somebody. And they really tried to tame me and like they thought I was too sexy. They thought I was, mm. you know, it didn't match the music and they were right. You know, like I didn't know anything about marketing or being like a character. I was just being mm. my who I was, was like mm. a teenage drug addict, crazy person. And <laughs> so they didn't know what to do with me because here I am making these like heartfelt songs, but then I'm a complete hot mm. mess. So it was, there was a bit of a disconnect there. And it took me a long time to really learn about like the different genres and how to write a song that would sound the way that I looked and sound the way mm. that I felt. Right. And also to sort of, it sounds like, understand the sort of 360 dimensionality of being a pop star, like where it's not even just about a song, it's about the entire world that you kind of build around yourself. And exactly. The aesthetic, the visual, the, as you've mentioned, sort of like the character that you build yeah. through songs and, and on top of songs, I guess, mm -hmm. at the same yeah. time. Mm -hmm. So your debut came out in 2004. It's called Trouble. And that was kind of the album that you were sort of, I guess, alluding to where the label kind of like didn't quite know like what to do with mm -hmm. you what was the experience like for you in terms of like making that album in terms of like understanding how like the industry creates 
pop music and creates pop stars. Like, how did that like inform your knowledge of like, at least at that time, like how the industry thought about like manufacturing or making new pop artists, I guess. It was so weird because now that I am on the other side of it, where I develop new artists and everything, like it's a lot more collaborative now. Like when I was that age, I came in with all of these songs already written when they signed me. So I didn't do any co-writing. I wrote everything myself and with Rob Cavallo, who had done Mm -hmm. Day and Michelle Branch and all these huge And so I was really excited to be in a room with somebody like that, but I didn't even know what a producer was. I didn't know the difference between a producer and a, honestly, like even a manager or a, (laughs) I had no idea about anything. My family doesn't know anything about the music industry. So I just grew up and was like, okay, I guess this is, I'm in LA and now I'm going to be a star. (laughs) Like I had no idea all the technicalities of what what it meant. Right something so when my experience and i looking back i'm like why did they let me do this like i had come mm. up with these songs that i mean if you listen to the trouble album there are a lot of fans that still listen to it and love it and praise it and i appreciate that very much but as a professional songwriter now like what i know now looking back i'm like these songs are just like my first attempts at writing songs some of them i wrote when i was 14. so listening to them it's like embarrassing because i had no <laughs> idea what i was doing and i'm like why didn't they put me in with l max martin or with a you know another songwriter to help me write stuff because they're sloppy and i'm embarrassed of them so i didn't have any experience other than them really telling me that i wasn't allowed to be sexy and i wasn't allowed mm. to look the way I wanted to look or say what I wanted to say. So I was very frustrated by that. So after the first album like didn't work, I was like, okay, I was starting to get wise to like, okay, it just doesn't sound right. Like I'm not writing the right kind of songs. And so I mm-hmm. was honing my craft. And when I was signed, I had only written those like 12 songs. So I had no idea. Right. So after being signed for several years, I, I was practicing writing and getting better and going, okay, like I want to be a little more rock and roll. I want to be a little mm. more edgy. When you were finding yourself in that way, were you working with other people? Were you like looking at other, like how did you go about teaching yourself to do what you do now? Like how did you, I'm just so curious how you like learned how to do what you do. Well, I mean, I started out just sort of challenging myself like at the piano mm. and being like, mm. I, I can't write the kind of music that I want to write on the piano. Mm. So mm. they had put me in with a couple of producers and then I ended up connecting with this guy guy, Oliver Goldstein, who ended up being my boyfriend for eight years after that. And he was an incredible producer. And Mm. there was like a community. That was the first time Mm. I had ever, you know, worked with people my age even. Mm. And so I was in a rat infested, shitty (laughs) studio (laughs) in behind a Carl's Jr. Jr. in Hollywood and watching Mm -hmm. people collaborate and co-write. And I was like, so excited and just so Mm. inspired. And he knew the kind of music that I loved. He knew how to Mm. make pop music. And mm. I, I always would say it was like, love at first kick drum. Like I remember like him playing on MPC 2000 and me being like, oh my God, like this is what mm. I'm looking for. So I mm. found a musical partner and I feel like that is really important in pop music to find the people mm. that you collaborate with best and kind of stick to your team, you know? So he taught me a lot and I taught him a lot on the lyrical side and he had a publishing deal and I didn't know what that was either. So I ended up signing to this boutique company, Pulse Recordings, and I figured out what a publisher was, which is kind of like an agent for a songwriter, right? Where they connect you with other producers and writers, and they are the liaisons between you and the labels that are looking for songs for artists. So they taught me the ropes and I ended up writing a bunch of songs for other people. Right. So one thing I'm interested in, in terms of what you're talking about, is it seems like one of the transitions you made from sort of like your singer songwriter era to your like pop diva era is, or, and your pop songwriting era, let's say, is the sort of transition from like a songwriting process being 
a solo endeavor or being like, because some of this stuff I think in some ways is like framed in the lens of like, and I hate to use this term, but it's relevant here, but like poptimism or the idea of sort of like, you know, it seems like what the label wanted to position you as before was someone who was like authentic, which like in the sense of like, you know, the rockest ideas of authenticity, that means that you like sit down at the piano and you play your own songs, right? Like when anybody comes for Taylor Swift these days, like the number one thing that like people like to bite back at with her is like, yeah, she writes all her own songs. You know, it's it's this thing that sort of like it's held up as the paragon of artistic authenticity. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like one of the transitions that really spoke to you and it seems like a mode of songwriting that feels remunerative to you, uh, like on a spiritual creative level is collaboration. Right. So like, why is that? And what is it like? What are the differences like between sitting down and like writing something on the piano that's just like you by yourself? And then like, what do you like about the idea of having like so many people in the room? And why does that serve pop music songwriting well, do you think? Well, I mean, it's rare that you find a hundred percenter, which is what we call people that do everything themselves, where they write it, right. they sing it, they or just just writing a song all by yourself. Um, Diane Warren is one of those. She's a rare right. breed of people that just right. write things all by themselves. And that's incredible. Right. And right. like I'm capable of writing a song all by myself. And I've sure. done it many times. But in yes. the pop world, in order to like make a proper demo, like you need to have like a pretty polished demo oh. production. And pop music has so much to do with the production. So it's like, mm. you know, if you're just a top liner, which is what they call people that just write the lyrics and melody, then you're kind of like missing a leg, mm. you know? So I think it's important in pop music to collaborate because you got to know your strengths and then you meet someone that takes care of the parts that you don't know how to do or that you're not as strong. Right. That's how you make a great song. You can go from making a good song on your own to making a great song. And then if you have the right people in the room, then you make a hit. Yeah, 100%. And it sounds like, I remember reading The Song Machine by John Seabrook, which I know you were featured in a lot. And he was sort of talking about how one of the unique elements of sort of like Max Martin's like approach to writing songs, which sort of seems like the genesis of the way that like a lot of pop songs come together, like over the last 25 years, was sort of like rooted in this socialist Swedish idea of like, you know, you're not the star, you're just there to like kind of like find everybody that does the best version of what they do and thus together you can come up with kind of like the Avengers version <laughs> of the pop song. So is that like kind of what you learned and do you agree that that's kind of like where that style comes from and the way that Max worked is kind of informed the way that like in your experience most major pop songs like in this mode come together or came together for a while? Yeah, at that level, I think that that yeah. is how that process works where you have yeah. experts in the room where it's like, you know, it, yeah, it is like the Avengers or something where it's like you have yeah. this power I have that superpower and we come yeah. together and we save the world, you yeah. know? But, you know, you see people like Olivia Rodrigo, who it, well, right. when she first broke, I was like, oh, she must have a Max Martin type person in the room. And then right. I looked at the credits and it was just her and right. producer. And I was like, damn, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So it's not always that way. Yeah. Again, if you just find the one partner that can fill in the gaps for you, then that's all you really need. So yes, mostly I would say at the top level that you hear on the radio, most of the stuff is written by a team of people. But I think that's also changed a lot. It depends on the genre. I was going to ask you, like, I want to I want to circle back to this question because I wonder, because I one thing that I'm curious about, and Nick, you're an expert on this, I feel like, is the sort of changing imperatives of pop stardom from, you know, the 
late aughts, early 2010s version of like what was required of pop stars or even before that, but certainly in that period, you know, which was a period where, you know, you were dominating a lot of like, you know, of the songwriting space. And I feel like there has been a shifting imperative towards that singer songwriter authenticity in pop stardom, sort of like in the wake of like, you know, the Lords of the world, there's kind of been this shift where it's like people once again, sort of in a way that I wince at sort of like want to go back to feeling like every song is like some personal like excavation of the soul for the pop star (laughs) in a way that I feel like so many great songs that you've been involved with like didn't need to have that and thus like have so much power and enduring you know I think that's it's an incredibly effective form of songwriting but let's come back to the end I want to ask you about what it's like to sort of go from aspiring to be your own artist to then making this transition like how did you decide that you wanted to do that was that difficult for you to do was there like an ego death involved in that like what was it like to decide a i'm you know i'm gonna try to like put my talents to use in the vessel of other people and also was the collaboration process as exciting as it was was there any sort of hardship in terms of like giving up your autorship or ideas of autorship in that way absolutely you know yeah i always wanted to be an artist that was why i came to la that was my dream since i as far as i can remember and then it turns out that i had a knack for songwriting right and it was especially hard i think you know when you're young when you're a teenager and you get a big record deal and everyone is blowing smoke up your ass and telling you that you're the next big thing and then it doesn't work out like it's it's confusing for young people Mm. to Mm. have to be surrounded by people that are like you're not even going to be able to walk down the street like (laughs) and then all of a sudden it's like no you are into the workout and so yeah breaking up with the idea and and i never i never abandoned the idea of being an artist of course not yeah yeah an artist whether i like it or not I have honestly like wished many times that that desire would leave me because it, yeah. it's exhausting. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. And there was there were a few years where I was like, okay, I'm just going to like accept that I'm only a songwriter and that it, it's not in the cards for me to be an artist. And I was mm. so depressed. Oh my mm. God. So mm. I, I was like, you know what? This is just whatever. I, it doesn't matter if I'm number one. It doesn't matter right. if I don't get mobbed walking down the street. I just... Right. Like, that's what makes me happy. That's what brings me joy. And that Mm. is my idea of success is Mm. like getting into something that makes me happy every day, you know? Yeah, right. That's a very important revelation. I think that like a lot of people can relate to in terms of their aspirations or a lot of creative people I think can relate to sort of like the role that ego plays in your creative endeavors. And then sort of like, if you can get to a place where you can let that go and like actually just do it because you love it. Like, you know, that in and of itself is a prize. Like in when you talk about kind of wishing that part of yourself to die, I feel like in a way it did because the part of yourself that came from sort of that desire did die so it may, probably makes the act of being an artist more joyful to you than it would be if absolutely. that was your yes, I appreciate it so much more absolutely yeah yeah and yeah it definitely is an ego death and it, it was really really hard and you know I've, I've encountered this with young writers or with young artists before where you know they get in the room and they're just like they're very protective and possessive of their ideas and they don't want to mm-hmm. share and mm-hmm. I'm like, I get it I get it because I remember like crying in the studio getting in huge fights with people about you know it's hard to accept that like someone else has an idea that might be better than yours mm. or the idea that you have to like change something that came from your pure soul like it's just it's not that deep like you just you do what's best for the art and mm. it, that is definitely an ego death for people once you surrender to that and you realize yeah. 
somebody comes in with a great idea and you get to partake in that, you get to put your name on that too, then it's exciting where it's like, wow, like I want to work with better and better people because that means that mm. I get to put name on it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like where the beauty of the commercial nature of pop music actually can generate great art because it's like the fact that everybody is kind of in the room trying to come up with the most popular thing humanly possible. Like you have to put yourself to the side, but at the same time, if you can actually do that, it can create something like a, a collaborative version of art that's like, you know, greater than in many instances than what somebody could come up with on their own. So that's like an exciting thing. Do you have any like specific memories of times where you had to confront that? Like where you were like working on a song and you were kind of like sticking your your heels in and being like, this is mine and da 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 and then sort of like realizing at the end of the day that like, you know, you needed to soften to somebody else's idea or conception? I mean, you know, when I first started writing with other people, it was like rooms with people that you've never heard of and songs that right. never saw the light of day. And so right. I am lucky that I got all of that reckoning out of the way before I right. ended up in rooms that actually mattered, you know? Right. Right. I, I made it in with Katie and Max. I was I was ready to do that. But, I mean, but it was tough because I was friends with Katie before I went in with her. So right. and we were kind of like secretly competitive because we were both up and comers and like in the same genre. We really like are very similar and we would finish mm. each other's sentences and come in with the mm -hmm. same concepts and everything else. So kind of that's like, clear. Why, why that's clear in the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yes, that was extremely difficult for me. But once I started getting some shine for that, it mm -hmm. was a different kind of pride where I was like, wow, like my intellectual property has like made a mark on pop culture history. And mm -hmm. I never expected that to feel good. I thought I would only feel good if I was in the spotlight. And I think also like as a woman in the industry or as, as a girl at the time, growing up, like you said, in, in the 2000s and whatever, and seeing the expectations of women in the industry, which is you have to be pretty and you have to be able to dance and you have to whatever, be alluring and learning that, you know, you can be successful and make money without having to show your face you right. know i think that was a really kinda, important sounds kind of nice yeah that was an important thing lesson for me to learn and so that was exciting but then i also was like i'm such a visual artist like that is mm. such a big part of it for me like i said i got into this because i i loved music videos i grew up right. watching mtv and right. so like, i felt like i was missing that mm. part of my artistry that's a big mm. reason why i've continued to be an artist because like when i write a song i see a music video in my head and also you must have seen that like you was or i wonder if you thought like via these hits i'm having for other artists like this is going obviously and it has been in many ways is like a great platform for your own music. I mean, I'm assuming that that's been true for you. Yeah, I mean, that was the plan. When I signed on to do it, it was like, okay, you're gonna write on the Katie stuff and then we're gonna work on your album. And then yeah. when Britney Spears comes along, we're gonna write on Femme Fatale and then we're gonna work on your album. And then it's like, oh, right. we gotta do Kesha. And then right. all of a sudden it was like, you know, four years of, of me just only writing for the people. How good is this episode? It's good, right? Well, great news, because if you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love what we're doing over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where for five bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of our show weekly. You heard that right? Every single week, we're dropping more of the same searing, in-depth combos you love about all your most anticipated new albums by stars like Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and Tate McRae, just to name a few, parsing apart all the newest pop singles in our famous new music speed rounds, and of course, 
course, diving deep on your favorite classic albums like Madonna's Hard Candy, Christina Aguilera's Stripped, and so much more, all with your favorite Pop Pantheon guests. All this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So sign up at the icon tier now at patreon.com slash poppantheon, or simply by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. You won't regret it. I got a second record deal and I was simultaneously working on the Prism album with Katie and American Girl. And it was really hard to do both Mm. because like I am neurodivergent and I I am ADD (laughs) and I, you know, Mm. my, I'm really, really good at one thing when I, when I'm uninterrupted, I can pull rabbits out of hats and make happen. But when I pulled in different directions, it's hard for me to do my best work. What is the difference in approach? Like when you're, when you go into a studio with Kesha, with Katie, with Britney, I'm assuming you're trying to sort of channel something pure about them or something fundamental about them, which feels like something very different than you sort of like going into the studio and trying to like write your own work. Like, can you talk a little bit about what you have to do in order to like inhabit other people as a songwriter in that way? Yeah. Well, you know, on those projects, it's like, there's a budget. And so we're at really nice studios with runners. They bring you lunch and, you know, my favorite pens, like, (laughs) like anything that I need is is there. And we're kind of like locked in. And when we did the Katie stuff, we went up to Santa Barbara where she's from. And, you know, you're really like in a camp in, and you stay in that mode for months on end. And with others projects where it's kind of like one-off pitching stuff, you're Mm -hmm. kind of like bouncing around you're at different people's houses different studios like you're not being waited upon so right. it's harder. and then you're like okay well like everyone you know people have kids or people got shit they got to do and so it's like okay well i guess we'll like pick this up another day and then you end up not finishing it you know mm. or it's like takes so much motivation and willpower to be like okay i gotta finish this right <laughs> you know and i have to get back in the mode but my dog is right. barking and right. the phone's ringing and you know so it's like i miss that and because it's also changed a lot where like so many sessions are in people's living rooms and like nice and it's convenient but it's not that you don't get the same kind of like concentration as when Mm. you are put in a studio and you're like the world is shut out and like that Mm. is your whole purpose is to Mm. finish this song so so like with katie for instance like you know her super well i'm sure like getting inside of her head for you is nbd like you said you guys are very similar you finish each other's sentences when you get like an assignment or you're trying to pitch a song like to an artist that you don't know as well and maybe you're not even getting studio time because as you said sometimes i'm sure you're writing these songs and maybe you never even meet the person who records the song or were there when they record it all all the time what do you do to like try to write from their like do you go back and like listen to all their music like what do you do to kind of like get inside of their heads yeah when i'm pitching for an artist that i'm not meeting i mean oftentimes there will be a brief from the label and they'll be like this is what the artist is going through like they just got married or they just got divorced or they coming out of teenagehood into womanhood right or whatever right. it is. And I'll go on their social media, I'll do a little research, look at the personality, listen to all of their music, read their Wikipedia. I try to get as much information as I can. And mm. then most of the time, especially if I'm writing for other female artists, I can relate. And so right. I'll come back to my own experiences and be like, mm. you know, how did I feel when I was going through that period of my life or whatever it is? And I also have a list of titles. And so mm. most of the time, if it's like, oh, this is a new artist and we're still trying to figure out who they are, then I'll get in with the producer. We'll get a track going. There'll be a vibe. And then I look at my titles and I'm like, okay, what title sounds like this track? <laughs> what mm. title looks like this track? I like nouns. <laughs> I like pictures, right. like jewels, like yeah. 
yeah. visual my, part. my lyrics are very visual and so I, mm-hmm. I don't know it's like making a movie or making a movie post mm. like what is going to represent this way that this sounds you know yeah and a lot of your greatest songs are incredibly cinematic i mean obviously teenage dream being like a quintessential example of a song that almost plays like a scene in a movie mm. or something like that do you notice a difference in your work for other artists when you are getting to spend time with them versus when you don't get FaceTime? Like, do the songs come out differently? Like, do there qualities to songs? Like, do you, like, would you always prefer to have FaceTime with the artist you're writing with if you could? It depends. If the artist is a songwriter and actually knows how to write a song, then absolutely I want to be in the room. If they're not, then it can definitely slow you down because Mm. you're like hand-holding somebody that's looking for a songwriting credit kind of. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I think that artists got wise to, if they're not getting a piece of the masters, if they're signed to a major, they understand that there's money in publishing and so they want to have their hands all over it and also like you said i feel like the culture is like if you don't write it then you're not real then you're not right right which i really don't think is true i mean it's so not i mean every time someone says that to me i'm like have you listened to whitney houston before whitney houston (laughs) michael jackson like madonna had nothing to do with the songwriting itself rihanna so many i mean it's like it's like yeah it really i think it comes back to the foundations of rock and roll culture and the idea that like you know that was i mean listen frank sinatra i mean like there's so many people that you could point to that like literally never wrote a song and like what they are bringing to the situation is something else their x factor their voice their their attitude like like rihanna is a great example like she is a curator you know yes a curator to a hundred songs that all of these people went in and wrote for her and she's like you know what this resonates with me and i know what i can do with this and i can bring this to life yes that is really important because like sometimes there are great singers great performers that just like don't know how to pick a song and that can be really frustrating too. Mm, interesting. Uh-huh. That's so interesting. So like once you had all the success, you were like one of the definitive songwriters in the world. You're, I'm sure you were sought after by tons and tons of every single artist uh, on earth and, and still are. You returned basically to wanting to make your music. Did you get to a point where you were like, I need to stop doing this and come back to me? Or now are you kind of more in a place or have you been in a place where you feel like both things can exist? I mean, I know that you feel like you can't kind of like do both things at once necessarily, but like over Overall, do you view yourself now or have you viewed yourself over the last 10 years or so as someone that like is just doing both when the time is right kind of thing? Or are you much more selective about who you want to write songs for? Like, I'm sure you have the fortune to kind of pick and choose what you want to do at this point. Yeah, I, you know, if something inspires me, if it's if it's an artist that I can't say no to, or I'm like, oh, this is a big name and this could be good for yeah. me. And I feel like this is something I can really contribute to, then yeah. I will absolutely do it. And I still yeah. want to do that. I still love yeah. writing people I'm full of ideas that aren't for me you know but if I want to actually do it if I want to really do the artist stuff it needs 150% of my attention so that is what I have been doing recently the album actually didn't come out in 2013 I only put out American Girl I was supposed to put out Slay 10 years ago. Oh, right. I remember reading about that when that came out. 
Yeah. And the label was like, we don't think it's a hit. And so I was like, I want out because I had already had a terrible record label experience. And luckily I had a great, powerful manager at the time who was like, could get me out of it. And I wasn't Mm. trapped the way that I had been before. So I left and I went independent and I, but I didn't own, like I had written and recorded all of those songs for that album when I was signed. So I didn't own Mm. the masters. So I went and made the bombastic EP and that was my first time doing anything independent. And I made a lot of money and it did really well because I got a lot of syncs on, you know, for movie trailers and everything else which is really fun because again like I I love pairing a visual with a sound so I kind of learned the ropes on what it means to be indie like where the money actually Mm -hmm. is to make something work what it takes to write something for sync specifically kind of my bread and butter and I also realized that like sync songs quote unquote are also the ones that get massive not because it's synced but because like when you write for sync you have to write something broad enough that Mm. it can kind of work for anything Mm. but still say something unique that resonates mm. with people and that's really kind of the formula for writing a pop song either way yeah it's like the true tightrope act i think of writing a pop song is like how do you make it like at once like the most familiar thing ever and then add something to the mix that feels exciting and like where do you how do you walk that tightrope i assume that that's something that you're constantly probably grappling with all the time i mean that's kind of my specialty is like yeah. you want to say something unique but familiar and yes. that's really hard to do <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> especially when it's been done over and over and over again. Exactly. And like, you know, everyone's tried everything. So I, one thing I was curious about is, you know, you're back on your artist grind. One thing that sort of has like struck me about the way that the pop music ecosystem has evolved since kind of like Katie's heyday and since, you know, that sort of big 2010s moment, which in like some ways was like the last stand of monoculture. Like, I feel like the moment where kind of Gaga, Rihanna, Katie were having their huge imperial phases felt like kind of one of the last times. I mean, I guess Taylor's kind of having one right now, but it's become rarer and rarer for pop stars to like eat culture in that way. Like to become this monolithic, everyone from ages two to 86 knows all of your songs. And, (laughs) you know, it, it just feels like that's harder and harder to achieve. And that even like big pop stars of the new generation, like, I think about Billie Eilish a lot. Like Billie Eilish is clearly like one of the biggest pop stars of her generation. And yet she doesn't have the kind of monocultural saturation that like Katie had or that, you know, Britney had or whatever. Like there's tons of people walking the face of this earth right now that have never heard Billie Eilish's music. Yeah. And I think that that's true for like other stars. Like and, and, yeah, down, on down the list, like you have Lana Del Rey, you have Charlie XCX, you have Carly Rae Jepsen, you have all of these pop artists that have kind of like scaled down or something like as culture has nicheified. I want I wonder if you agree with that characterization and like if you think that that's kind of like a benefit for artists like yourselves who have like big cult fan bases like pop stardom can kind of be scaled down in some ways from like just being Madonna or Katie or whoever and you can actually be kind of like a indie act pop star like that's something that I felt like really didn't exist until you know Robin or something like that no absolutely I was just talking about this the other day it's like because it used to be the only place that you would be able to find music is on the radio right on TV and everybody had the same radio stations and the same TV to watch and now there's so many options of where you consume media that it's like people can really curate and find the stuff that they are interested in Mm -hmm. and I think there's also like a thing about discovering things that nobody else knows about that's that's where it used to be like zines in the 90s or whatever where it's like you would have to like be in the know and be in the underground culture and now it's like because of 
you know, social media and the internet and everything, like you can really find whatever you're looking for. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword because I do miss the days when everyone, when we would have a cultural moment and we would all share and everyone would know all the words to a particular song. And mm. now, like, you know, there's there's been times where I go out and like everyone in the club is singing the song. And I'm like, I don't fucking know the song. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's because I'm just like old. I'm just like, no, that's just like not what I'm seeking out. Like that's not. No, no. I mean, I'm a DJ, so I see this too. I remember in the beginning of my career, it was like every week I'd have seven new songs to play that every single person knew. And now it's just like so rare that you come across songs. Yeah, like I mean, I don't remember the last time I listened to the radio. Like, yeah, same. No idea. Radio. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, because it's so overrun with commercials and, you know, somebody yelling at me in the car and I'm just like, I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah, do this. Don't need it. Um, and also like, I'll hear the same song. Yeah. Within half an hour. And I'm like, can we please just like diversify a little bit? I think it's particularly bad in America. I know that like mm. when I when I go to Europe, when I'm in London and stuff, I'm like, oh, they play all kinds of different genres and stuff. Right. So it's not right. like this is pop, this is hip hop, this is, you mm. know, kind of get more of a variety of different kinds. Mm. Of music. And they've always been more diverse in that way, which I really like. Which is why we get really interesting artists coming out of the UK because like, or artists break in the UK, like Lady Gaga broke over there right. you know, because America wasn't ready for it. It almost feels like nowadays too, it's like there's a bifurcation between like having a hit song on the radio and being a big pop star. I mean, that's the thing that I think makes it so interesting, like in terms of your career trajectory, both as an artist and as a songwriter, which is like, it feels like the imperatives I mean, of course, Olivia Rodrigo has lots of hits on the radio. So maybe she's like a unicorn in some ways here. But like, if you think about like Billy or Lana, like they don't even like have, I mean, Billy has hits obviously, but like Lana doesn't really have big radio hits. Like she doesn't need them. Like it's all this kind of like world building exercise. And then like what happens on the radio is like things that get big on TikTok. Or it's like a whole, it's like almost like they're separate equal. It's like being a pop star has like less and less to do with having like a big radio hit than it ever has before. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Which is great for people like me because radio yes. costs a million dollars it costs a million dollars yes. to be on the radio right. unless right. you make it happen and now it is democratized where you know if you can blow something up on tiktok or whatever then you have a shot at radio and like radio is still like super important and amazing if you can get it but yeah. It's so impossible to get there if right. you don't have a major label backing you. Right. And you don't even really need it. I mean, I like literally, I mean, so many of my favorite pop artists, like I would never hear on the radio and they're still around touring, in some cases, arenas. I mean, yeah. I will never forget going to see Robin at Madison Square Garden in like 2019. And like, she has not had a hit on US radio since like 1996 or whatever. Yeah. But like, that is like the the paragon example to me of like, like a pop artist, someone who makes pure pop music. It's not like she's making like some sort of inaccessible noise music or something yeah, like yeah. that. And she's able to build a cult audience. I mean, there's like a whole strata of pop artists that you're a part of that like exists in this world that I think just really did not exist until, yeah, you know, about 10 or 15 years ago. All right, so let's go back to Hot City. So you're kind of re-recording a lot of material that you had recorded before. Are you doing like the Taylor Swift thing where you're just like meticulously recreating them or are you actually like trying to update them to make them sound more contemporary? Some of them I really felt when I recorded them in 2013 were perfect. And right. so I have aimed to make it sound exactly the same. And then other ones needed an update. And also I didn't get to even finish the album when I was mm. like, I was like in the middle of finishing it when I went on the Carmen tour. And so they needed to be refreshed for sure. Mm -hmm. And which is really hard to do. I can imagine. A, you have demoitis. B, 
it's like something that was working back then, like the, the songwriting sort of trends or whatever, or production ch- trends have changed or like are oversaturated and old and sound dated. And so updating that is harder than just writing something new. So I made a whole new album a few years ago, but like during the pandemic. And I was like, okay, I'm so excited to put this out, blah, blah, blah. But I hadn't put anything out for so long. I was like, I need to re-engage the fans. And then I found this forum that is like 500 pages long. It's these kids talking about, well, not even kids, like they grew up with me, you know, like mm. it's been 10 years where they've been mm. talking about this unreleased album for 10 years. And I was like, damn, they really want this. And mm-hmm. I feel like because pop music goes in cycles. And so I think that, you know, at the end of the KD era being the biggest thing in the world or whatever, everyone was sick of it. Everyone wanted something different. And then like Drake right. takes over and Billie Eilish and Lord and, you know, things change. And it's the same thing happened in the 80s where you have like hair metal and whatever. And then Nirvana comes along and the culture mm-hmm. shifts. So, mm-hmm. people, you know, you want something fresh, but mm. it always comes back. Pop music always comes back. And it also has everything to do with the economy and how people mm. are. And, you know, when things are gnarly in the world or everybody's broke, like nobody really wants to listen to like sad, slow music as much, <laughs> as much, you know, like you yeah. want to escape. And so right. I definitely in a time right now where people want an escape right that was kind of like the the whole thing with dua's album coming out in the pandemic and stuff like that yeah exactly right. and so i feel like these songs that i wrote in the sort of recession are relevant again because now people mm. are looking for an escape and you know i always try to write songs that are evergreen that is my yeah. goal i stay away from being super trendy with my lyrics or the language that mm. i use or whatever it is so lucky for me when i open these songs back up i was like these are still great so it's been the freedom tour where I'm like I mm. finally get to put these songs out because I was so heartbroken that I didn't get to put them out because I was like this is some of my best work I'm really really yeah. proud of these songs but like you know in the middle of the shift of culture I was like these are no longer relevant nobody wants mm. them and then here we are that's fascinating it, like it's like living proof of the cyclical nature of this whole yeah. thing okay. if you are making updates to them what has fundamentally like, even if we are in a bit of like a sort of recalibration back towards centrist pop music what is different about centrist pop music quote unquote in 2023 versus 2013. Well, you know, again, I've never been a trend follower, so I don't right. know the the new renditions of these songs are necessarily like responsive to the trends of the moment. No, not at all. I'm just like I just want like the best version of these songs that they can be. Is it more like your taste having evolved or your sort of perspective having yes. evolved more? Or yeah, less? and also yeah. just like learning and also you know being a producer now and like understanding how that works and what you don't need everything in the kitchen sink. So it's, mm. it's a lot of kind of taking away, <laughs> subtracting. Yeah simplifying and and streamlining. And obviously you've felt incredibly free having gotten to create these outside of the confines of a record label. Would you say that's been an entirely good experience? Have there been challenges to that? Like, what has that been like for you? I mean, I think it's hard not having a and mm. as much as I really generally don't like a and <laughs> mm-hmm. it, It's nice to have someone to give you feedback because right. when it's just me, I'm just sort of in a void and I'm just like, is this good? I don't know. I have no <laughs> but you must have like a million other like incredibly talented, smart songwriter, producer friends who give you feedback now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like, I don't know. It's nice to have an outsider that's like not mm. To react to it, and mm. like, this one feels a little long, or like this one, I don't quite understand what you're saying here, or whatever it is. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. So I think it, mm-hmm. it is important also to have friends that aren't in the music industry that I can sort of bounce things off of and be like, how does this hit you? You know, or like watching mm. people react. That's really interesting. I was like, you know, I, I feel like another thing that you must be really good at, just because of all your experiences, is taking feedback. You seem like you're like very good at taking notes, <laughs> which is hard for some people. We talk about an ego death. Yeah, I've worked with. This is so random. I've been working with the um, U.S. military field band who are 
who are make, they won a Grammy a couple of years ago, um, the first time they ever recorded, they recorded anything, and they wanted to write the new American songbook. And so I have been working on songs that are meant to sort of unite. And so when they give me notes, it's like a whole like, oh, we got to have a meeting about it. And like everyone, and they're like, so we're really just thinking that like, they're very timid about it. And I'm like, no, no, I'm so used to hearing no, like, just tell me exactly what you want. And it's helpful. You know, like yeah. I write something and I'm like, I don't know, this is the first thing that came out of me. Like, <laughs> um, so I'm happy to edit and, and, you know, and in fact, like I really enjoy like song doctoring too. Though mm. sometimes people will send me songs and I'll just like fix them. Oh, interesting. Which is fun because it's like, it's a lot less work. <laughs> right. And also you're, aren't, didn't you mention earlier that you're like developing other songs? Like you are, you're like mentoring other songwriters. Yeah. Point, right? I mean, like yeah. not as a job, but just kind of right. like as a service, you know, right. like, you know, I'm <laughs> paying it forward I, kind of deal. Yeah. I, I meet these young artists that like, are, don't know what they're doing or where to start. And, and I'm like, you know what, like, let me just help you out. Like, just cause mm. I see myself in you and nobody yeah. me. And I came in totally blind and was like, how does this work? You mm. know? So I'm happy to help young up and coming artists. And also like, it's nice because I feel like my generation of writers and producers have known me for 15 years. And so I'm kind mm -hmm. of old news. And like mm -hmm. to, the, to this younger generation, I'm like a legend or whatever. And so it's nice to work with people that are like, oh, I grew up listening to your songs, like whatever. Because mm -hmm. I was always afraid of like aging out or getting mm -hmm. older in the pop industry and thinking that like the kids would think I wasn't cool or that I'm old or whatever. But it's been like so much love and respect from. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, great. I love you guys. This is awesome. I mean, I. I feel like songwriters, like actually, it's less of an aging out thing than even like, you know, it can be for pop stars. I mean, I mean, we've mentioned his name numerous times, but Max Martin has been writing hits from the last 30 years, essentially. Like, it's like, you know, you can, you talked about Diane Warren. I mean, there's people out there that like, it really can continue to turn out hits over and over again. I'm sure that that will definitely be you. So last question for you. If someone knows your work with other artists, but like hasn't dug into you as an artist yet, like where would you encourage people to start? Like, what would you want people to start to get to know who you you are outside of what they might know of you already. I would say start with the Bombastic EP. That was my, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, American Girl. That was the first like kind of semi-hit that I had. Um, I'm very proud of that song. Mm -hmm. And song. I mean, it's funny because like one of the reasons that I wanted to put out a whole album, even though like whole albums aren't really the thing anymore or whatever, is because when I look at my Spotify and Apple or whatever, I'm like, wow, I've only put out one entire full length album. And that was in mm -hmm. Or, and it's a really embarrassing <laughs> album that I like never I am it's not as embarrassing as you're making it out to <laughs> me. I mean it might not be representative of what you feel like you are as an artist but it's definitely not embarrassing well thank you I mean but you know now knowing what I know now I'm just like oh my god this is just a <laughs> mess but you know they were my first attempts like I said I was like 14 years old when I wrote those so but I think it's also because I it was such a dark time for me when I wrote that yeah. like that was when I wrote songs because I needed to because yeah. that was my escape and that was mm. my catharsis so it's just it's a little cryptic but anyway so i think that you know bombastic and um and the recent stuff i'm i'm mm. really proud of yeah don't get maggie famous I'm, I'm excited for that one how would you describe that one how what do you want people to know about that song don't get maggie famous is first of all it's really short 80 seconds long which I think the fans are- Wow, confused. 80 seconds. Oh my God, you're taking yeah. it to another level here with the short, because that's a big trend obviously right now is like the two minute and 15 second bump. Yeah, right? which is like funny because I never, I, I love a long song. I love a bridge. Yes. I, I want to go mm -hmm. on a journey. But when I started this song back in the day, I never finished it. And right. when I came back to it, I was like, I don't know. It's kind of nice just how it is, where it's like verse, mm. chorus, chorus, 
out. Goodbye. And if you want to hear it again, which I think you will, then you play it again, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the, the statement is like, whatever, it sounds so cliche, but like be yourself and like fuck mm. leaders. And I think that I was especially inspired by all of the bullshit that's happening with, you know, banning drag shows and all of mm. the queer phobia and everything that's been happening in America recently. And it really is kind of an anthem for anyone who feels like an outsider because it's called Don't Get Mad, Get Famous. It's not really about getting famous. It's not about fame. It's about like, do your thing, march to the beat of your own drum, don't listen to the haters. And that's something that has been a thread throughout my music, Slay is definitely mm -hmm. that. Bombastic too. Like Bombastic, I wrote Bombastic as a response to feeling like I couldn't cut through the noise in the music industry and I had just left the label and I was very unhappy and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not going to show you who's boss. And that's what I did <laughs> with it. It's honestly an evergreen topic. I mean, how many great pop songs have we got? Like, I think it goes back to something you made a point about earlier, which is like finding a tried and true and comforting sort of milieu to work in and then finding a way to put a new spin on it is sort of your specialty and the way that most great pop songs function. Totally. And like, I love writing a song that you can strut into a room to, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've written many of those. <laughs> I've strutted into many a room to your song. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So we're going to go out on a clip from Don't Get Mad, Get Famous. Everybody pick up Hot City when it drops. Do you have a release date for it? Not precisely, but it'll be in spring. Okay. Everyone pick up Hot City in the spring when it comes out. Bonnie McKee, it was an absolute honor to get to talk to you. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me.